0: Hello and welcome to Sonoran Desert Institute School of Firearms Technologies official podcast, The Gun Rack. Hello and welcome to The Gun Rack, Sonoran Desert Institute School of Firearms Technologies official podcast. I'm Josiah Upper. Hey, folks call me Joey, and today with me I have one, Drew Poplin. We're Come getting on. faster and faster as the weeks yes. go by um it's almost flawless we're already finishing each other's sentences sandwiches god i'm embarrassed sometimes to be
1: fair my second choice uh, my second guess was danishes yeah
0: that's yeah okay i'll take that it has a filling there's bread It's, it's food of some sort yes um they both can trace uh their ancestry back to europe which is you know important but (laughs) sandwiches came from europe yeah have you not heard well i assume that it's not a folk legend but sandwiches reportedly uh, were invented by someone named the earl of sandwich but that might also just be a completely made-up thing
1: no it was the burger king
0: oh okay yes that's well he was a petty king um from back in medieval times when there wasn't really a unified england Um, This is all very important. Speaking of Burger King, George Washington (laughs) is who we're going to be talking about today. Um, President's Day is in February. And uh, I can't remember exactly when uh, President's Day is within February. I think we've already passed it uh sonoran desert institute is their offices are closed on president's day in case that was a mystery you're trying to solve yes it's monday february 21st so at this point of course we're recording here in the past hello from january uh but at this point we will be one week removed from the uh from president's day uh and of course george washington is uh the first president that the United States had. He also uh, pretty famously is termed as the father of our country and the man who would not be king. So we're going to talk about him today. I'm really excited about it. But before that, we're going to engage in a little name that got him. last week's answer uh, is uh, for those of you who, who listened in and are wondering, we were talking about the Marlin Model 60, which is a fantastic firearms platform uh see if you can find one locally for a good deal uh i doubt that you will regret it now for next week one of the most famous uh firearms of the 27th 27th wow 20th century um yeah no, the most popular firearm of the 27th century is still going to be the clash of Macau, but one of the most iconic Firearms of the twentieth century is going to be referred to in this upcoming segment, where Drew Poplin has created the clues. Drew's mm, clues. Drew's clues. Drew's clues. Okay, so this firearm was developed in Israel and designed in nineteen forty-eight. I almost think that should be the only prompt because if you don't know it at that point, I don't know what to do with you. Um, it's it weighs approximately three point five kilograms has a muzzle velocity, of course, depending on the particular round, but generally about 400 meters a second. Blowback action. Answer will be provided next week, but if you don't know this one, I don't know what to do with you. So those are the clues as provided by Drew. Drew's Drew's clues. clues. Uh, So we're going to get back into it. George Washington is going, of course, to be topical, uh, coming out of President's Day, uh, a week separated, but also... Uh, at SDI, uh, we love our history and we love our military history. Uh, you probably, if you've read our blog, you've seen some history posts, which is all great. Um, we've also done quite a few historical podcasts in the past, and, uh, this is going to be one of those times. So serve it up, Drew.
1: Absolutely. I'm, I'm really looking forward to this. I love military history. I love history in general, Uh, So this was right up my alley. I want to give a shout out to my main source uh, for this podcast episode. It was actually the Mount Vernon website, uh, www.mountvernon.org. And I was honestly really surprised. They had like a plethora, like a absolute wealth of uh, biographical knowledge on george washington which i expected for like the tour but i didn't think they'd have it on their website so that was really cool you should definitely check that out if you're interested in george washington i really want to focus on um his military life uh in particular i will be touching on some of his early childhood growing up and then you know a little bit afterwards but for the most part we're focusing on george washington the soldier the captain The general the chad the chad so george washington was born february 22nd which is a shame he was a day away from uh being born on president's day indeed Uh, yeah he just missed that he was born 22nd of february 1732 at pope's creek plantation uh if you know where fredericksburg virginia is actually relatively around the same area. It's super close to the Potomac River and sort of that whole coastline area. Uh, Just to kind of give you a mental image of the environment that he was born in. Uh, His father, Augustine Washington, was actually married twice. Um, Unfortunately, his first wife died in 1729 and she left behind uh, two sons and a daughter. Uh, So George actually had uh, three older siblings. Two years later, Augustine met Mary Ball. Uh, one thing that's interesting about uh, George Washington's mother is that uh, her uncle was actually uh, the Burgess of Westmoreland. Um, if you don't know what a Burgess is, basically think of it as a representative. The Virginia House of Burgess was actually one of the first institutions of uh, colonial representation in Uh, The colonies. Oh, that's Uh, cool. Yeah, yeah. So, George's uncle was kind of an important person, uh, especially in Virginia. Soon after, you know, all this, two years after George was born in 1732, they moved to what eventually would be called Mount Vernon, uh, which is actually a very lovely place. I definitely want to go back there one day. There isn't a whole lot known about George's early life documentation wasn't exactly what it is now. They didn't have uh believe it or not, they didn't have Facebook. So we kind of get all of those cool status updates. Um Joey off the cuff though, if you think George Washington had a status update, what would it sound like?
0: Ooh. He he's doing a, a location stamp. Mm -hmm. and uh his location stamp is instead of being like is in tampa florida it'll be is not going to the dentist because his famously horrible death
1: perfect that's perfect but so once again there wasn't much known about his early life but what we do know is that his dad augustine passed away when george was only 11 and george also had I forgot the exact number, but it was a fair amount of younger siblings too. So when you think about Mary being a single mother during this time,
0: a bunch stuff. of kids.
1: Yeah. So was not an ideal environment to grow up in. This is where we kind of transition into first interest into the military. Um, And this came about in 1746. What it was uh, was one of George's half-brothers and then also his neighbor, Lord Thomas Fairfax. They basically encouraged him to join the Royal Navy. If the name Fairfax sounds familiar, Fairfax, especially in the Virginia area, uh, is a pretty famous name. It's a a county. And Lord Fairfax... was actually George's hero. He was the guy that he wanted to be, who he wanted to emulate. However, his mother just outright refused this. Um, This is just pure speculation. I would say that George must have had an adventurous spirit about him. Because if he was interested in going into the Royal Navy, um, but wasn't able to do that, then it would make sense that his next profession was that of a surveyor. Yeah, um, no,
0: it's an interesting transfer.
1: And I think it's really interesting when you think about him uh, having this experience as a surveyor. You know, that seems like it'd be a pretty good skill that would transfer over into um, on, onto the battlefield, especially in terms of, um, you know, trying to mobilize uh units and uh supplies and everything uh just being able to have a good lay of the land um, Yeah, yeah to me i think that probably ended up serving him well
0: yeah um,
1: <laughs> when he was 21 george was recruited and actually just flat out made a major by virginian governor robert dinwiddie so pretty much um during this time and the territories there was a you know, there was a lot of players, um, especially in these areas that weren't really settled. So, you know, it would wouldn't it be uncommon to have, uh, you know, French forces, English forces, Spanish forces, and you know, at the time, it, you know, sort of all this land is up for grabs, um, and that's even ignoring you know the Native Americans that are already there. So you have all these people, all this land, and so Dinwiddie, what he did, um, he sent. George, uh, to Fort Le uh, which is near Erie, Pennsylvania, uh, for those wandering. Um, and up there in this territory, um, the English felt like it was theirs. There's French soldiers there at this fort and basically Dinwiddie wanted to tell Washington to tell them to get out. And this was like a 900 mile trip. Surprisingly though, the trip there was actually pretty uneventful. Uh, the trip back, on the other hand, was anything but. So after hiking through the snow, which you have to keep in mind, this was actually happening uh, during the winter. So they're making a 900-mile hike in the winter. So, um, you know, they go up there. They uh, they hand their letter to the French. Everything's going well. They start the hike back. Um, but on the way back, they were near the Allegheny River, and Washington actually fell f- fell into the river. Um, somehow or another, he ended up on uh, basically an island of sorts. So Washington had to survive the whole night on this island with no shelter in the middle of winter after already being soaked by freezing cold water, uh, which should have been probably an early clue as to um, – how great this guy would eventually be. So what this ended up doing, this guy, his name spread throughout. This helped elevate his reputation. This actually ended up uh, making news all the way over uh, across the pond in England. So despite this incredible feat uh, of just sheer survival, you know, despite him channeling his inner Bear grills, his military career actually got off to a pretty poor start. You know, a few months after this initial journey, the now Lieutenant Colonel Washington was sent with 150 men back to the same general area. And on May 27th, they encountered a French force of about 50 soldiers and defeated them in 15 minutes. You say 15 minutes. I, yeah, I said, uh, well, I actually said 15 minutes. Oh, okay. Uh, Yes. uh, Yes. 15 minutes. Um, But you know, this, yeah, that's that's pretty incredible, right? Like yeah, that sounds like an absolute win. However, oh, well, one thing that um you might be forgetting is that there's such a thing as, uh, as a counterattack. Oh. Um but even ignoring that sad trombone, yeah, yeah, we'll we'll get to that, but um even ignoring that there was actually a lot of controversy uh around this encounter, pretty much the French argued that um they were just minding their business uh and washington basically acted did out um or acted not in a military capacity so what he did was essentially murder um oh uh, no <laughs> yeah yeah a uh, great start for our founding father <laughs> um and of course the british argued that um uh, yeah, the French actually had were reaching for their rifles, so that was a uh, cause enough for them to attack. Obviously, we don't know what actually happened that day, but regardless of that, Washington quickly retreated. They had a fort uh, called Fort Necessity. It's very hastily made, and it wasn't even finished, uh, but they had to retreat to somewhere, so they went back to the fort. And so the French forces counterattacked. They surrounded the fort. And Washington was forced to surrender. If this story sounds familiar at all, it's because that it was this event that was sort of the ultimate real catalyst for um, what would be called the Seven Years' War, or um, or the French Indian War. So, what in only your second um, second act as? Um, military commander of some sort um you start a war (laughs) it's Um, not
0: not great
1: it's not ideal but believe it or not that this wasn't the end of his military career like they didn't just immediately like yeah you can't do this anymore it's not in the cards for you george but also it's interesting to note that this is when some of his feelings of resentment for the british first started pretty much um so yeah at the time you know England, they were sending over officers uh, from England to help out um, during this. And George was seeing how the Virginian officers that were at the same level as these royally commissioned officers, they uh, at the same rank, uh, the Virginian officers were actually being paid less. Writing to his pal, Dinwiddie, in um, the governor's office, he said, Actually, Joey, do you want to read this?
0: Uh, sure. Washington, writing to Dinwiddie, said, I would rather prefer the great toil of a daily laborer And dig for a maintenance, provided I were reduced to the necessity than serve upon such ignoble terms, for I really do not see why the lives of his majesty's subjects in Virginia should be of less value than those of his other parts in American dominions, especially when it is well known that we must undergo double their hardship. And after that, he was demoted. Captain, George had enough for at least another year. Yeah the, the you, problem you really... with George Washington's quotes is that we don't know what he sounded like, right? We don't know exactly what he sounded like. That's uh, true. This is not intended to insult him. It is the the idea of voicing George Washington is so intimidating that I had to go with the nonsensical. So if you found that insulting to America, I apologize.
1: Yeah, well, I think you really captured the gravitas of the man. Yes. Um, so you should be proud. Um, in 1755, Washington, he volunteered to work as an aide to General George Braddock. Um, so basically, yeah, he, he was demoted to captain, and George, you know, he, he had enough. He didn't want any of this. Uh, so he actually had left the army, left the war for... Only about a year, uh, so um, cool, cool. This time, this time around, he actually decided to um, uh, volunteer as a unpaid aide uh, to this general, General Braddock. Him and Washington's relationship was not exactly great, uh, maybe even contentious. Pretty much, uh, he wasn't respected by Braddock um, at all, and you know, that ultimately. Would kind of end up being the general's undoing. All of this would kind of come to a head. Lord help me! The name of this battle, uh, I'm forgive me for mispronouncing this because I know I'm getting it wrong, but it's the Battle of Monagahela River. So, General Braddock, uh, during this battle, was wounded. He actually put up a really good fight. Um, I think he had like five horses shot out from under him before he was uh, mortally wounded which I don't know if that says more about Braddock than it does the horses.
0: Yep. I'm not going to victim blame any horses. Thank you very much. <laughs> not falling into that pit again. <laughs> again.
1: Um, but so Braddock was wounded and uh, ultimately he ended up dying about three days later. So George Washington, much like Fairmere from the Lord of the Rings films realized this was the opportunity to show his true quality. Washington tried his best. And you got to keep in mind, too, he's not, he's no longer an officer. He's not even a soldier. He is an unpaid aide. And still, you have Washington rushing out there, attempting to rally all the troops. And um, even ultimately, he was able to lead the evacuation effort um, and get some survivors out of there. He ended up leaving the battle with like four bullet holes in his coat um, and he also had two horses shot from under him which again that really I, I feel quite bad for these horses so while he left the battle with um, four bullet holes he did gain something in return for this heroic behavior he was made the commander of the Virginian army that, that's an upgrade <laughs> yeah. what well, you're going to find out is basically Washington's military career all throughout his life was basically a roller coaster ride. Like he'd reach these enormous highs and these very low, big lows, and it would just go on and on. And for the next few years, George led his men against the French until the British finally took the disputed territory in 1758. You know, between this time and you know what would eventually come, and I don't know you guys know it's coming. You're probably waiting on it. It's the American Revolution. Uh, between this time, nothing. You know, there wasn't much that happened. George uh, Ended up serving in the Virginia House of Burgesses, uh, uh, the Virginia House of Burgesses. I'm sorry. Uh, He got married to his wife, Martha, and uh, he was quite the successful farmer. Again, if you go to the Mount Vernon website, there's actually some really interesting information about how he was uh, pretty innovative uh, as a farmer, uh, which I did not expect to find interesting yeah uh, but again by now we all know what happens next uh the colonies were at war with britain uh arguably at the time the world's biggest superpower uh one of the greatest i i would go so far to say is one of the greatest empires or most powerful empires uh in the history of the world and so you have the colonies go into war against them, and they need a leader. In 1775, the Continental Congress they decided George was going to be that leader, but George was pretty hesitant. He um he didn't feel like he could successfully lead the rebellion, and you know that wasn't just him being modest or humble. Although he was very humble, he just didn't have the kind of experience that was needed to lead a force of that size. Joey, why why choose
0: him then? Do you have any theories? Well, for one thing, because he showed up at the Continental Congress in full military uniform for like ever, ever, every single day for like a long time. But do you know how long that probably took in the mornings? Yeah, it's <laughs> yes, he's that's uh, a long. It, it's a long morning, but early to bed, early to rise makes you uh, the leader of the Continental Army. But George Washington had experience, um, which a new army, any new army badly is going to need. And uh, he also was a, he's a leader. Everybody knew he was a leader. And I think when it comes down to it, he still kind of had more experience than sort
1: of the other candidates. Yes. Um, and being the, you know, basically the uh, commander of the Virginian army, that, that that's not small potatoes. Uh, but I definitely think the fact that he was a, undeniably a good leader of men um, certainly helped. And plus, he did look great at those Continental Congress meetings. Yeah. So the war actually started off pretty well for Washington and the uh, colonists. Um, at the time, Britain was holding Boston. Um, however, it was not a position that they could actually hold for long. So, you know, the colonists, they were able to come in, basically get rid of them, retake Boston. So, you know, while this looked promising for the country, uh, reinforcements from the British were soon on its way to America. And with that, uh, there was another embarrassment. Uh, You know, we kind of talked about how Washington's military career is a bit like a roller coaster. Well, this is where we start going on the downward slope. And perhaps the most glaring defeat uh, would come shortly after taking Boston, New York City, which, while it was an important city, it was like Boston, it was a nightmare to try to hold. Uh, when you look at New York, you see a city that basically amounts to it being on an island. The significance of this is that the military that possesses the better navy would have a massive advantage. Clearly, this worked towards Britain's favor. So, by November of 1776, Washington and what little remained of his force would be forced to leave New York with their tail between their legs. Um, you know, at this time, they were battered, they were bloodied, they were dejected, and um, to Washington's credit, he was smart enough to realize that you know, while this was a pretty demoralizing loss. That losing New York, it was not the nail in the coffin that you know many might have assumed it was. Regardless, he knew that with morale low, and also the um, many of his soldiers, their terms were coming to an end. You know, they had to leave New York in November of 1776, and the term of a lot of these men was ending after December of 1776. Uh, so he needed a reason for these troops to re up. This would happen on, on Christmas of all days, and um, many of you history buffs might know what I'm about to refer to. George Washington, he was a smart man, and he understood the importance of symbolism and um, being able to have a massive victory on Christmas Day, a day that uh, for many people symbolizes hope. I, I think that was maybe a masterstroke uh, or just pure happenstance. We, we don't know. So what Washington did on Christmas, well, at the time, the British, um, they basically had soldiers that they hired, uh, essentially German mercenaries. Uh, They're called the Hessians. Um, and there was a Hessian force near Trenton. And the only thing that separated Trenton and where Washington's army was at the time was the Delaware River. Um, so what George did, he led his army Across the river in the early morning, and um, caught the Hessian army completely by surprise. You know, but he wasn't done actually. So the British they sent forces to take care of Washington, but uh, he was able to outmaneuver them, and then he was able to lead a second crossing of the Delaware to attack Princeton, which was another massive victory, especially in the early parts of the war. And it could be argued that you know what happened at Trenton and Princeton definitely served a big part in you know turning the tide of the Revolutionary War. So after these two massive victories, I'd say you have two options. Number one, you can attempt another bold attack on the British and capitalize on this newfound momentum. Or you can remain flexible, remain swift, give up on retaking major cities, stay away from open field battles, all that. And what Washington did is he wisely – uh, I might add he wisely chose the latter, especially considering that most of the colonists at this time, they didn't have a lot of experience with these massive open field battles. However, despite uh, the victories that happened at Trenton and Princeton, uh, <laughs> the army still struggled, and it could be argued that their biggest enemies were not the British or the Hessians, uh, but was in fact a cold and disease. Shortly after um, both Trenton and Princeton, Washington would make another move that was very controversial at the time. He had the whole army inoculated against, um, it was a variant of smallpox. It was very widespread at the time. It was devastating to his troops. So he did this, and um, um, again, the army faced disease, frostbite, starvation, and, you know, this time, many people were calling for, you know, they're calling for Washington's head. And I think it's here that you really see the value in having loyal commanders at your side. Um, just some unsung heroes of the revolution. Um, you have General Knox, uh, Anthony Wayne, um, Nathaniel Green, uh, who is a bit of a, um, bit of a cult hero, uh, or, uh a folk hero in uh, North Carolina.
0: And there is also in North Carolina, a city called Greensboro. That's how big Nathaniel Green is here, uh, largely in part to the uh, race to the Dan uh, and the Battle of Guilford Courthouse, which is uh, the last really major battle that preceded the uh, Battle of Yorktown in the Southern Theater.
1: Yeah, uh, if I'm not mistaken, didn't didn't we lose the battle of uh, Guilford Courthouse?
0: We did, but we extracted Mondo casualties. Mm. <laughs> I'm going to use that expression from now on. Yeah, it's a technical <laughs> term. Yes,
1: um, purely <laughs> technical. <laughs> um, so yeah, so once again, you know, they were basically just doing whatever they could to help him during this time. And that's not even mentioning um, guys like uh, Lafayette, Rochambeau, Uh, Banner von Steuben. I believe it was um, von Steuben actually who um, contributed a lot in uh, training, uh, giving the soldiers some formal training. So once the winter ended, they were ready. They were ready to fight again. And they were honestly probably better than they were before that winter. And I believe you just mentioned it, uh, the Battle of Yorktown. A good way to think of uh Yorktown would be the battles of Trenton and Princeton uh, but part two this time the prize was a lot bigger it wasn't just um Hessian soldiers it wasn't just territory this time it was General Cornwallis's army it was um, indeed and uh, good news for us is um they won I wish we had more time to go into the battle of Yorktown maybe that's uh maybe that's a future episode Um, I'd love to.
0: Yeah. Battle of Yorktown would be fun. The, um, my favorite, just to drop a fun fact, uh, bomb at the end of this, uh, Washington was absolutely fixated on the Northern campaign. And, uh, he wanted to attack New York and, uh, like real bad and everyone, all of, you know, the command around him was like, dude, just go, we can go win this thing like right now. And the, uh, Uh, One of the main reasons Washington was compelled to pick up stakes and move to the South to participate in the siege and battle of Yorktown um, was that he had looked at Yorktown in the past and had decided never to use it as a defensive position because it was so difficult to defend. So he saw Cornwallis there and went, "Hmm." (laughs) so he went and did it himself, went and did it to him. I didn't yeah. actually know that. That little tidbit is from Revolutions yeah. by Mike Duncan. It's a podcast. It's good stuff. I did know that um,
1: he was pretty preoccupied with uh, the Northern campaign, though.
0: My man's loved him some New York. He mm-hmm. just did. Well, I guess he had to settle for Yorktown. Yes. It's <laughs> New York-ish.
1: So two years after, uh, two years later after Yorktown, the war was officially over, uh, although Yorktown could be seen as the nail in the coffin. But the underdogs did it. Yeah. Score one for the boys back home. A young country now could finally take its first steps towards autonomy. So what now? What now indeed? Well as many of you probably already know um exactly what happens next. But basically as far as George Washington himself is concerned, poor guy he just wanted to go back to Mount Vernon. But you know, every time he, if I could quote, uh, was it, was me, not in
0: the cards from a boy.
1: Yeah, if I could quote Godfather Part Three, uh, every time he was out, they pulled me back
0: in. Uh, <laughs> you, you even sounded like fifty-something-year-old Pacino right then.
1: Oh, uh, thank you. It's a lot better than uh, stuff <laughs> of my tail from the range impersonations. So yeah. um, glad to know I'm improving. Yes, it's getting there. Uh, yeah, you know, after the war. Um, and this is why we titled the episode The Man Who Would Not Be King. You know, there was calls for Washington become king of America. Um, and he straight up refused. He's like, nah, nah, fam, I'm going home. But he wouldn't stay there for long. Uh, the Articles of the Confederation, um, which was, um, and correct me if I'm wrong, Joey, but basically the, um, the governing document for, the, um, for early America.
0: Um, yes. It was very difficult to enforce entity.
1: It, it needed an overhaul. and It basically just needed change. They need something else. Um, and so he was chosen to preside over um, the meetings and it, funny story, he actually, um, he told Martha that he was only going to be gone for a couple days, maybe a week. Uh, he was gone for four months.
0: Um, Ooh. <laughs>
1: fellas. If you're going out honest, the, yeah, if be you're honest out, with your people. Yeah, if you're going out with the boys, don't undersell how long you're gonna be out for. Uh, but he was chosen to preside over these meetings, um, but also um, basically he served a role in helping garner support uh, for this new constitution in Virginia, which was definitely needed. I think when the votes were passed, they only passed by I think one vote. Oh dang. So, yeah, it was, it was really tight. It could have been two or three, but it was either way. It was, it was tight. Yeah. So good. Got this new constitution. That's great. Now I can go back home. Well, never mind. He was elected United States president. Sorry, son. So rather than being bitter, uh, all he did was um, in his first term, just establish the basis for how every other president in history would be evaluated. And after his first term, once again... Poor George, he just wanted to go home. If I'm not mistaken, I think uh, Jefferson himself went down, like he went over to uh, where Washington was and literally begged the guy. So you know, he's says okay. Uh, very next day, the French Revolution starts. You know, no big deal. So pretty much uh, what Washington did during his second term, he kept America neutral during um, the French Revolution. He attempted to. Quell the growing partisanship within Congress. I'll give it this he tried. There was a war that actually started in his first term with some of the Native Americans. He ended up winning that in his second term. And um, he was able to convince Spain to allow us access to the Mississippi River, um, which would end up being huge in terms of Western expansion. Uh, so finally, 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 he's able to go home and rest. And um I'd say he I'd say he probably deserved it. He probably deserved a yeah. nice for exactly
0: two years until he uh, Yeah, yeah, yeah. He really did. went home and rested.
1: Yeah. Um and even in that case, unfortunately, this rest would not last too long. The wars of the stress of Leading a nation multiple times, multiple capacities, Um, they had taken their toll on George. Um, uh, You know, it's one of those things like where you see um, the picture of the president at the beginning of their term, and then when you take a look at their picture after the term, like those those changes are so drastic; they are
0: so marked. Doesn't like if you look at this, is not any you know attempt to, you know, there's no political opining in this. But if you look at like Barack Obama before and after his eight years of presidency, mm-hmm. he almost doesn't look like the same person. <laughs> it's it, it's wild, it's absolutely nuts. His hair goes sheet white too. Yeah, it's um, and
1: you have to take into account all the stuff George did before he was even elected president. Although all that stress, um, ultimately it wasn't war. It wasn't stress that did him in. It was, um, acute bacterial epiglottitis. Ooh. Um, which I'm pretty sure I butchered, uh, epiglottitis. Oh my goodness. I can't say it. I can't say it. Um, that's how you know it's bad um now joey i'm curious um now when we're discussing his legacy it feels like a almost an impossible
0: feat joey i'm gonna ask you to attempt it though well you can you can make a lot out of his legacy um and i don't think it is at all unfair to say that everyone that lives in the United States is directly affected by his actions in some way, shape or form. And I mean like daily part of what they do daily, the manner in which they are able to do it in the immense amount of freedom we enjoy is, uh, in a large part, thanks to uh, a lot of what George Washington did. Um, that's going to be both as a general and as a, uh, politician. Uh, but uh, I think his biggest legacy is in the crux of those two. Uh, he was known by many as the American Cincinnatus. Um, for those who, who do not know who Cincinnatus is, he was an old, old ancient Roman who was uh, constantly given the Republic, the, all the power in the Roman Republic. Time and time again, they had a uh, emergency position, literally called a dictator, um, that was uh, basically put in to be the one man show for a period of emergency. And then at the end of that period of emergency, that dictator was then required to give up those powers. Not unlike, uh, uh, Chancellor Palpatine, uh, (laughs) unlike Chancellor Palpatine though, Cincinnati actually did it and everyone was so shocked because power so famously corrupts. And at that level of power, there's, I mean, it's, Cincinnatus had wanted to turn Rome into an empire long before it became an empire, he could have. And that is um, that almost is what happened. There's it's not quite that direct a comparison, but uh the English uh civil wars, uh Oliver Cromwell goes from general to uh he has a couple of different titles in the the interregnum, uh when uh, the when Great Britain briefly became a, uh, I think it's a Republic, not a monarchy. So he basically, he took power and then he held on to power, even though uh, Cromwell was genuinely, like he is kind of a morally ambiguous, not a power hungry dude. And Washington wanted to model himself in a way that he would be given all the power in the world, basically, at least in the Western world, and he wanted to be so powerful that he could turn that power down when he didn't need it. And, uh, I think in 99 out of every hundred people would not be able to make the choice that he did. Um, he very easily, there were issues, um, at the end of the war with soldiers, uh, not being paid what they were owed, um, either in terms of pension or back pay. And of course, when these, Soldiers were rightly uh, furious because they were being, you know, uh, stripped of what they were owed and then going home to uh, places that have fallen out of disrepair because they weren't there to fix them and they didn't have the capital to fix them. uh, Those military members would have almost certainly very happily flocked back to George Washington and uh, uprooted a completely powerless legislative body that was created by the Articles of Confederation. And the most generals in that position, I think, would find a way to insert themselves willingly into uh, governance for the foreseeable future. And Washington was genuinely not happy to do it. And uh, in separating uh, the, I mean, of course the president is still the chief of our armed forces, but in refusing to take the civic uh, side of our country's nature with the force of the military, he set a precedent that still has not been interrupted today. And that is very rare. And that's very special. I think that's his biggest legacy. Now,
1: uh, on a slightly less serious note, uh, if we want to talk about guys who looked bad from the uh, beginning of their term to at the end, I think Papaleteen's got to be up there.
0: Yes. Um, (laughs) Yes. So if you're, if you're the, the head of your legislative or executive body actively looks like they are like, their eyes are slowly yellowing from scene to scene and getting more Sith-like pay attention to that. Cause that's going to be a, that's going to be a big one for us coming down <laughs> the road. Um, but Departing George Washington for now, we're going to give Drew a break um, as he just plowed through what might be the longest episode we've done in recent memory um, and get into the Tales tales from the Range. And uh, this one is going to be from the Clarion Ledger. I hope I pronounced Clarion correctly. Um, And this is going to be, this is a good one. So here we go. Of course, former CL Outdoors editor Bobby Cleveland of Brandon had a story or two to tell as well. After getting remarried, I took my wife to stand at our camp the first year, he said. We were sharing a shooting house about four feet off the ground, big enough for two. About an hour in, she said, I know this is probably going to mess the hunt up, but I gotta pee. I said... Give it a few minutes if you can. And 10 minutes later, she reiterated her urinary needs. I relented and said, all right, dang it, but we're right at prime time. So hurry. That's when the stars came out earlier than expected for her to get out. I had to stand up and move to her side. I rose up off the bench uh, to the extent of my six foot frame and centered the four by four crossbeam across the roof of the five foot 10 shooting house. So he, he beamed himself on the crossbeam. It knocked him cold. I fell back on the couch, he said, then back against the wall. Stars are circling against an otherwise black sky. Birds were tweeting. I was out for more than just a few seconds. Finally, I felt tugging on my arm. Pam was whispering, Bobby, are you okay? Are you okay? Answer me. And that brought me to, but I wasn't sure where I was. I looked up at her red face and I said, I guess I'm okay. I, I didn't know you had a twin. I'm seeing double. I sat up and rubbed my head and drew blood and said, that's gonna leave a mark, but I'm okay. And she said, good, get out of my way, I still gotta pee. And the hunt was basically over because every deer within 500 yards probably heard the ruckus, uh, but Cleveland said it ended earlier than that. Never did tell her, he said, that it didn't matter if she scared the deer. I had forgotten the magazines and bullets for both of our guns.
1: There is one reason and one reason alone I compiled that story
0: for today. Is it is it because of you forgetting ammunition for your gun?
1: Sweet, sweet vindication. Yes. Uh it's just it's just nice knowing sometimes that you're
0: not alone out there in the world. You're not alone out there in yes. the world. There are uh, everyone is capable of equal amounts of incompetence at almost any given time. So. Yeah. That should be reassuring. <laughs> yes. All, right. All right guys. Yeah. Yeah, for now, uh everyone, that is the gun rack. Have fun out there. We will see you at the range. See you next week. Sonoran Desert Institute is an online school located at 1555 West University Drive in Tempe, Arizona. Accredited by the DEAC. For more information please call 800-336-8939 or visit sbi.